Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people that are out there making it happen. Today, we are with a good friend of mine, Stuart Cook, who is an amazing entrepreneur. He was the former CEO of Zambrero Mexican Food Chain, and he basically helped that company go to 100 stores in four different countries. He exited that business, then had a capital raising business where he used to sit on boards as well and do some advisory work. He's currently working on a new project in the plant-based food space and again the retail restaurant industry launching a business called Flav. So we talk a bit about that as well. He's also the second biggest shareholder of the Entourage and he sits on the board of that as well. He's an amazing entrepreneur with lots of experience so sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Stuart Cook. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the One Shop Movement podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, just anyone that's out there with a story to tell and's making it happen. And we're here today with a good friend of mine, Stuart Cook, uh, who's an incredible global entrepreneur and businessman, investor. Uh, he was a former CEO of Zambrero, the Mexican food chain, and took that business international into over 100 stores. He raises capital for businesses. He sits on boards. Um, he's just about to launch a new business, or it may have already launched. We'll find out a bit more about that, called Flav. Um, he's one of the original investors into the entourage. Uh, he's Travelled the world, lived all around the world, and done some amazing things. So, uh, welcome to the show, Stuart. Thank you. That's an incredibly, very, very generous uh, introduction. So, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I live up to it. <laughs> no, you definitely will. You've got a lot of experience. And I guess I always like to invite the guest on to, to provide a bit more context and backstory to their journey. Um, and, and then we'll just uh, dive into some questions. Yeah, great. Okay. So uh, just to give you a bit of my background, I'm a country kid. I was brought up in uh, just outside of Coffs Harbour on a small five and a half acre hobby farm. Uh, my family had a crack at doing macadamia farming, but I think we're a little bit too casual. And the only thing we bred was uh, giant bush rats until we chopped them all down. Um, and so, you know, my parents are school teachers, but my entrepreneurial journey really started uh, quite fortuitous um, being in uh, India. I was actually on a bus on the way to the Taj Mahal and I'd gone and done some charity work over there and the founder of Zambrero um, happened to be on that bus with me. He was over there getting an award and I started chatting to him, loved his story, loved that his two Mexican restaurants were building schools in Sri Lanka and I sort of got involved in the charity work and then we enjoyed working together and he said, how about you come on board and be my CEO? I was you know, 23 working in a sales job for a HR consultancy company. Um, I'd never even been to his restaurants. I hadn't worked in restaurants before. And so I said yes before, uh, before even seeing it. And so um, I think you know, call it giving the 20, a 23-year-old a CEO title is pretty attractive um, when you're really just a glorified manager of a couple of restaurants. But... You know, gave me an equity stake in the business. And so over the following six and a half years, grew that to, you know, 100 restaurants. And, you know, it was a crazy rollercoaster ride of, you know, good fortune, a bit of dumb luck and 
um, surrounding myself with really intelligent people who are specialists in certain areas and just sort of learning learning um, as we went. So it was a pretty exciting ride. And I think you touched on a really important part there. 23, you know, my business journey, uh, 21 when I bought my first gym and helped franchise that company, set up 22 franchises. But you mentioned that, you know, a steep learning curve, but you got some really good people around you. Um, and that's one of my guiding principles I always say to people. If you can uh, get a good mentor, get a good advisory group around you, you can really like, I guess, navigate challenge, but also um, before you hit those challenges, sometimes you can save yourself as well so do you want to share a little bit about that and how that helped you yeah so I think one of the 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 stories that I tell that um led to I think a lot of my success was is that you know I looked at what we were trying to accomplish and that was to try and get to 100 restaurants um we did set ourselves a target of five years and it sort of took us six and a half but you know we what we realized is that is that we weren't doing anything really unusual that somebody before us hadn't done and so you think about the other chains of McDonald's and KFC and Subway and the like, like they'd built giant systems. And so what we did is we went out and sought the people who had done it before and learned from their successes, but also not only that, but their failures. Um, whenever a chain or a food group would go under, I'd actually go and approach the CEO and say, actually, you know, what happened? Because a lot of people who were successful don't necessarily know exactly why they were successful. They think that they they were, and they can tell you some really anecdotal evidence, but um, the people who fail know exactly why they fail. It's kept them up every night for months on end until the world comes crashing around around them. So, you know, finding people who have been not successful is also really important. And I think the other one as well that's really important that it was a bit of a rule that I gave myself is asking people the second question. And so if they give you a piece of advice, like find out why they, they've come to that. Um, you know, what is it about their background that tells them that? Like, why should you not go into partnerships or why should you not franchise or why should you franchise? And because, you know, people um, are like a sum of their experiences and their beliefs up until that point. And so it's important to understand where everybody's coming from. And that's why we would also get as many data points as possible because, if you've only ever had one accountant, how can you truly tell me that that accountant is the best in the world? Because you have a, you know, you have a sample size of one. Um, and so, but if you speak to somebody who's had 10 accountants, then you know that they're going to be a lot more um, abreast of the situation of what is a good accountant and what is a bad accountant. And so that's what we did as well as we were asking as many people as possible and triangulating on a lot of the big decisions that we made. And so that, I think was important that we didn't surround ourselves with not only really intelligent people who'd done it before, but lots of people who had done it before who had all come from different experiences and different backgrounds and then picked the right ones that were suitable to our time and our situation. Mm, yeah, very good advice. Um, I ironically have just uh, put together a bit of a an online learning course, and I talk about building your world class team. And you know, a, a, one mentor might be a great business advisor, but might not be a great mentor to have in um, investing in real estate because they may not be real estate investors, or they may not be good advice around health, which is an important pillar of you know being, I guess, full and true. And um, so it's important. 
to get the right people around you uh, not doesn't it's not a one size fits all but it's actually they have to have what you want or desire to have or the they've been on the journey before you so you you would yeah. obviously agree with that oh, 100% yeah and i mean it's just, and it's also that again just to specialize on uh, and like what we do with lawyers for example across our different entities like who is the best leasing lawyer for example is going to be very different to the franchising lawyer. So, you know, in companies that I've got investments in or I've run before is, is that, you know, we're using multiple law firms based off their speciality. And you, so you bring, you, you make sure that you bring the right work to the right person. And, you know, just because they're your advisor, they don't need, you know, they don't need to, they may have an opinion, but they're not maybe not the right person to ask certain questions of. So you exited that business. Um, did you know what you were going to do at that period of time? Um, and you did move into raising capital and sitting on boards and uh, getting involved in businesses like Fitstop, obviously your involvement with the entourage. You want to talk about that part of the journey after Zambrero? Yeah, so Zambrero, um, after Zambrero and selling my stake out of that, uh, in 2015, my wife and I got married um, and we went on a one-year honeymoon around the world. And so, you know, I hadn't had a holiday for probably six years, longer than a week, and neither had she. She was a CEO as well, um, but of a charity. And so we used that time to just sort of go out and explore the world. Uh, and, you know, I, I did actually spend a year over in the U.S. doing a turnaround um, business uh, I was a CEO of a turnaround company um, that was in a little bit of trouble and got it ready for reinvestment and then to let it go. Um, but, you know, I've always been somebody who likes multiple projects. I think I'm probably a bit of undiagnosed ADHD. Um, and so going from project to project is something that I really like um, and so problem solving. And so that's where getting into advisory and I made some investments along of along the year over the years and so you know being that support and being helping guide the ceo to help make the right decisions or connect them with the right people is sort of something that i was just naturally always being drawn to and so you know over the past two years um my holding company which is called twio stands for the world is your oyster morphed into a bit of a corporate advisory and get company that was helping companies raise capital. So providing external CFO services, um, advisory services and getting companies ready for capital raise or exit. Um, but then that, that sort of was something that I always wanted to do. But then um, this amazing opportunity came on with Flav um, where I was fortunate enough to be introduced from somebody through I'd met through the entourage actually. Um, and uh, with a really very impressive entrepreneur um, named Jan Packers. Um, you know, a European guy has been over in Australia for about a decade, you know, CEO of a half a billion dollar company as uh, a few number of startups and exits under his belt. And so, you know, he had a vision to be able to create a hundred percent plant-based business um, and, and grow that because it was something that the world needed. And we, my wife and I had also started looking at that plant-based space ourselves and, you know, and that, that sort of started, that journey started uh, during our honeymoon where my wife and I were in Costa Rica and we had to, uh, she was airlifted to hospital because of a really bad bacterial infection. And as part of her, part of her recovery process, 
um, because they'd stripped all of the um, all of the microbiomes out of her stomach because of the broad spectrum antibiotics. Um, the doctors actually said that you needed to go vegan for a month, and then you could be um, vegetarian for another month, and then you could start introduce meat products. And you know, being a supportive husband, I begrudgingly agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, I started to notice um, a lot of changes with my body um, in a positive way. Um, being pro- predominantly a vegan um, or a plant-based diet. Um, but then also realize that you were just having to make so many sacrifices in order to, to have a plant-based diet, whether or not it was flavor or fulfillment or price or convenience. And so the goal of Flav and the business that we're, I'm running today is to be able to provide amazing plant-based food for billions. And so that's sort of our next big venture. Yeah, and I guess um, as I'm just listening to your journey to date, some of your opportunities have happened because of, A, timing, but also relationships and your ability to develop, maintain, reconnect with relationships. And that's another one of my my top three biggest uh, tips for success is the, the importance of relationships. How would you say that that's held you and is that something that you consider highly valuable? Oh, incredible! Incredibly valuable, uh, and I mean, I'm quite lucky because I'm an extrovert, and you know, extrovert is and an introvert doesn't mean negative and positive. But you know, an extrovert is somebody who gets energy from other people. An introvert is somebody who you know finds energy in a lone time and peace and quiet. So, you know, me sitting at home is like mm-hmm. playing, trying, you know, probably emailing people or messaging people from all over the world of people I've met. So. I do have that natural curiosity um, of what people are doing and, um, you know, generally care about the people I meet and just, you know, again, growing up in a small country town and thinking that, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about business to now having traveled all over the world and friends who are doing really interesting stuff. It's just sort of something that has provided a lot of opportunities for me. Um, but if anything, this is that the, the flavor and, the business that I'm in now is, is like one of the first times I've actually, yes, it was originally caused from a, a just a, a unusual connection or a chance encounter. But this is like one of the ones that I've actually an opportunity that I've sat down, I've thought about and taken the time to really slow down, which is something that my wife helps me do a lot. Um, and, and really think about an opportunity because sometimes I've jumped into opportunities headfirst um, without a helmet. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a shallow pool and sometimes it's not. So I, I think that there's, it's definitely served me incredibly well um, and provide a lot of my opportunities, but I could probably ratchet it back like a couple of points um, in order to make sure that every time I jump into opportunity, it's the right one. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, we talk, we're going to move into Flav now, but I want to talk a little bit about, because I've had a few people on this show that raise capital for businesses and they've raised, you know, half a billion dollars and that's something that you're obviously doing um, when you, you're, uh, I guess, prior to Flav and you may still be doing it and you, you've had to raise money to start Flav. What are some really important things if somebody's out there trying to raise money for a business that you see are critically non-negotiable? So, I mean, there's a, it, it definitely comes down. So idea first, you know, is it solving a problem? Uh, I think the easier ideas are the ones that you don't have to educate the market on. 
Um, whereas you like and really change consumer behavior, they're usually very, very expensive ideas to come to fruition. But if you can go into a market that's underserved and you can incrementally and be a bit of a game changer within that existing sector, that's typically more, more appealing to people and easier to raise capital. Uh, the next one is team. It is about past performance. And if you are a first time CEO, who are the people around you who have done it before? Um, and so, you know, giving up a few points of equity to the right advisors to stick their pieces, their faces on them on the deck is like, it's worth its weight in gold. And there's enough ways that you can put agreements in place so that you actually do get your pound of flesh out of them. Um, but, you know, having people who have done it before because, you know, you know, future, future performance often does relate to sort of past performance. And so if you, you know, I know that for raising money for Flay for me as somebody who's built a hundred restaurants, it's going to be a lot easier than somebody who has never raised any money for, or never actually worked in a restaurant or opened a restaurant before as well. So there's definitely a premium placed on, on people who have been successful and it doesn't necessarily mean that the founder has to be successful again. It just can be the people, whether or not it's the head of operations or the CFO or the advisory board, they're all, they're all good things. Um, I think that you you then also have to look at the amount that's being raised and like how thoughtful those people are being. Um, you know, what is the market like? How saturated is it? Like what are the moats around the business that will protect you from other competitors just starting up tomorrow? So, you know, how defensible it is, you know? And again, I'm not talking about patents because like patents and trademarks and things like that, you know, work to some extent but it is about execution and that's the most important thing, but how easy is it to execute? Um, and as an, like a lot of investors uh, are looking at that. Yeah. And we, now we talk about Flav. Um, you found that niche, that passion, let's say in the plant-based food, you mirror, uh, you marry up your experience of a hundred restaurants. Uh, your vision was uh, ironically how things happen. I'd invested in a plant-based food company and, our, um, a friend, common friend of ours, you know, connected us and I was talking to you. I think you were in France or somewhere at the time and you were you were telling me about your idea and I'm telling you about what I've just invested in. It was funny how things happen. But plant-based food industry, restaurant industry, you've done it before, um, a massively growing niche, which is why I put money into the industry in a different company. But, um, what you know, what what is your vision there? So the vision is um, for Flav, and I'll take a step back for a second, is that we actually raised money into a company called Bite Sized Innovations, which is the parent company, and Flav is the, the restaurant side of it. And so the, the dream there is to roll out a 1,000 restaurants over the next 10 years. Um, that was pre-COVID, so we'll just hold on to that for a second. And then there's the alternative meat side of the business, where we've actually got a partnership with the University of Sydney and um we actually and we've got taste and textual engineers and we're actually looking at creating our own beyond meat burger um but also looking at other areas like alternative dairy and trying to be basically a plant-based infrastructure and research hub there to be able to push out and make australia really a leader on the global stage for alternative plant-based proteins yes yeah, so, and 
we, uh, you were just about to launch into your first store into Bondi when COVID happened. And one of the things that I always talk to people about is challenges. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when and how often. And sometimes challenges are out of your control as well. You can be the best CEO and have the best business in the world, but COVID, this situation's unprecedented. Do you want to share a bit about, you know, uh, the challenge and adversity around uh, this current situation? Yeah, so we, yeah, around March, I think the world came crashing down in Australia around March 22nd and about March 13th, we're in final negotiations for a site in um, Bondi on Hall Street, quarter million dollar lease a year. So, you know, big looking at a flagship location, but, you know, again, surrounding yourself with people who are, you know, more skilled or experienced or or specialists is really important in that diversity. So, my one of my advisory board members for Flav is my old COO of Zambrero, and she she was uh, quite high up and headed up operation a lot of the operations for Starbucks in China, and she's actually based in Shanghai. So I know that Flav's future is going to be in Asia as well as the US, far greater, um, far bigger and more voluminous than in Australia. And so, you know, I was chatting to her every week. And so as soon as COVID started hitting in China, I knew what was going to, what was happening. And so it meant that like, you know, as soon as we started to see little droplets of COVID here in Australia, um, you know, basically was, you know, made sure that we we're able to tighten up our belts and pull out of deals that could cause issues if we did follow what happened in China. And we did. And so, you know, there's not much you can do about it. I'm invested in gyms and tourism and events and um, and hospitality. So it was more not, you know, not saving the business or being able to take advantage of some of these huge situations, but it was definitely being able to mitigate, mitigate some of the risks. And so that's what we did. We stopped the negotiations there and we sort of took a step back and said, you know, do we shut up shop or do we pivot? And so, because opening restaurants when you've got a shutdown is not going to be the right thing to do. And so, we, um, we then pivoted into meal subscription. And so, you know, that's been interesting. I, you know, I'm a proven CEO of a quick service restaurant chain and we've pivoted into a e-commerce manufacturing business. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that has been, you know, a really big, eye-opener for me and learning and you know we've got CTOs now and whereas you know um, CTOs we have you know understanding AdWords and subscriptions and um, the technology and and then working with contract manufacturers and you know, our first contract manufacturer that we started working with you know had some internal challenges which has stopped us growing and we've lost you know a month or two on launch because of that. So we've had to switch contract manufacturers because of the whole COVID situation. So, you know, it's, it's definitely been like an MBA in crisis management this year. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And you do sit on a few boards. Um, Is that, uh, just share, like, is it because you like influencing companies? Is it financially lucrative to be involved in boards? Is it because you've got a stake in the business? Like, what's your, um, I don't know if it's a passion or why do you do that? Well, um, so the the boards that I'm on, Fitstop, um, Entourage and Native Travel, I've got 
uh, I'm either the majority investor in it or like the second or third largest shareholder. Um, and you know, the, so some of them have been protecting investment and being involved in it. You know, the entourage have been on the board of that for a decade now, um, or like really close to a decade. So Jack, if you're watching this, I, I'm not asking for long service leave, but I would, uh, like a president um <laughs> but you know it, it's good to keep your finger on the pulse of a business it's um but like my vacation rental company over in california it's important to um be there because we're majority shareholders of it so it's make, making sure that they're all doing the right things and they've got the right governance in place um you know i do do i i get paid for some board positions if it's um and then don't get paid for others um the Twio capital side of things was definitely a pay fee for service type thing. Whereas I have been the board member where it is a lucrative role. You're not getting rich from it. Um, and you do have to be very conscious of the, of some of the risks of being a director um, and make sure there are the right systems and protocols in place to protect yourself. Um, but yeah, it's usually, it usually has been to protect protect the investment, be able to add value to that investment. And there's businesses that I've stepped off the board of because, you know, I'm not the, I then be, I was great for a time. Um, and then it's time to move out of the way and other people who are more experienced or more, more experienced in the sector or more appropriate for the growth phase that they're in to go and help make our investments bigger and better. So, mm. yeah. And on a broader level, obviously a very switched on um, business person and, you know, the way you think about business. We're in uh, this COVID, this uncertain time. What are some of the challenges you see? Like I was talking to someone the other day and I see one area, the way businesses are potentially going to be working remotely, that will have a pretty profound effect on commercial real estate, which then could unflow into the cafe and restaurant scene below there. What's some of the things that you would see uh, and how the world could change through this COVID situation? I think you're right. Commercial real estate's a really interesting one. Um, and we're going to start to see the impacts of that, I think, around September, October, where JobKeeper um, starts to fade off a bit. Uh, I think that there'll be uh, the towards the end of the year restaurants and retail is going to really get hurt. And then therefore there'll be a lot more tenants vacating. And then if tenants vacate, will landlords hold true their prices and prefer to have people empty or will they drop prices, but they can't drop prices too much because have depending on how leveraged they are. So, you know, but have they got enough in reserves to be paying the mortgage? So, yeah, the commercial property sector is like, you know, I mean, you can make arguments for both ways, but, you know, I personally wouldn't be investing in commercial property right now, um, you know, unless it was backed by non-retail, non-food businesses. Um, they're like but some service-based companies or accounting firms. If, you know, they're my tenants, I'm probably going to be pretty happy. But, you know, you've also got, you know, one of the law firms we use, 150 lawyers, like, you know, they're considering like, do they downsize um, and take half the space and, you know, move to a more flexible workspace and working arrangements forever. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in, in that space. I, I wish I had a crystal ball because I mean, mm -hmm. I'd be a very, very wealthy man if I did, but you know, uh, 
you know, there is some data coming out about workplace productivity and and how how good people are really working at from home. I think that you know one of the ones I read yesterday or the day before is that um, you know the first two to three months of lockdown when people are working from home, they're also scared of losing their jobs that they're working incredibly productively. Whereas you can then start to slip into a bit of a relaxation mode over time and not work as hard um, or not be as motivated. And especially younger people within the workplace are losing that, not getting that, um, those sort of incremental learnings from sitting next to somebody who's more experienced to them. So their, their, their training isn't, isn't happening as much as they should. So, you know, I don't think they've solved for that problem. Could they solve for that problem? Maybe. Um, so it's just going to be, I think, a wait and walk, wait and see. Mm. And, and in a perfect world, I'll ask a question back on to Flav. Um, your vision of what a Flav restaurant would look like, feel like, um, let's say the, the perfect world, the, everyone's moving around, eating out and that again. What's, a, what's an experience or what should they look? Is it a funky, vibrant uh, layout? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're definitely looking at, I mean, the goal is to, to be a, a really flavor-forward brand. And if you think about flavor, and that's what we're leading as one of our core values, is that flavor is fun, it's exciting, it's um, hip, it's a place that you want to go and experience things. Um, I think what has changed from our vision of flavor overall will be that it will be even more experiential because I think that we will have less restaurants but more experiences within those restaurants. So... You know, Starbucks, um, although Australians don't have very good um, affinity with it, it's been one of the biggest disasters in Starbucks history coming to Australia. But, you know, if you look anywhere around the world, it's, it's done an incredible, um, it's done an incredible, incredible job. And they've got these um, master stores, which are called the, the roasteries. And if you're in, ever in Milan or Shanghai, uh, Chicago, Seattle, like they've got these other big ones where you get to experience the the roasting, you get to see all the beans and you get to see a lot of the inner workings of, of what makes Starbucks incredibly special as a brand. And so I think that we'll take a little bit of, um, we'll get a bit of inspiration for that, but then also have very, you know, may play with the ghost kitchens. And so you might have only sort of two or three of these experiential locations in Sydney, but you have ghost kitchens where you don't have any retail front or takeaway hole only and you're able to actually get the entire city. Very good. Hopefully we can get into a flav sooner rather than later. <laughs> but, but I think it's a, I think it's a, you know, I don't see us opening one in the next year. Mm. So, you know, I see the end of 2021 unless we're doing pop-ups and things, but unfortunately my prediction, I'm happy to be wrong, but you know, I think, I think COVID is upon us for a good year and, you know, it's insane to think that we're only in the end of July or early August. So, Yeah, uh, very challenging. I've already had to cancel my international travel for the year and um, I, I don't think I'll be travelling for another year either. So I, I'm feeling the pain there. Um, at the end of every episode, always ask a few uh, rapid-fire questions that are not necessarily rapid-fire answers, but um, do you have a book or 
um, that everyone should be reading if they're looking to get into business or leadership or personal development? Oldie with a goodie, but how to win friends and influence people. It sounds like uh, I'm I'm manipulative and I don't have any friends, but it yeah. is a it is one that it just talks about the way to build up relationships and um, be very empathetic to the people around you and inquisitive. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ray Dalio's principles. Uh, I listened to it on the um, audio book and loved it so much that I had to buy the paperback to be out the, to be able to highlight it all and put notes in it and things. And then anything by Seth Godin or Malcolm Gladwell. So I've read all of their books. And that would be the tipping point would be one, Malcolm Gladwell. Point out, yeah, tipping point, outliers, um, yeah. David, you know, David Goliath. I, um, um, Tribes by Seth Godin is a really good one. If you're starting a business and you want to build a movement, um, the purple, the purple cow. So, um, I was interviewed on a podcast recently and I revealed how to win friends and influence people, Ray Dalio and the tipping point is my three books to read too. So, uh, um, what about, uh, the best bit of advice you've ever received? Ill feelings are a misalignment of expectations. So if somebody has an ill feeling or you think they have an ill feeling, it means because they haven't set the, you haven't set the expectations the right way. They might be expecting here and you delivered here. You might be expecting this and they, they did this. And so by through communicating, you're able to bring the expectations to the same point to be able to reduce any ill feelings. In, and that's business or it could be just in general in yeah, a friendship? Everything. everything, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like usually if you feel like they've, it's something and and trust your gut a lot more. I mean, intuition is is a is the way that it's built up of it's a culmination of all of your experiences, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think that this sort of goes back to what I was talking about as well is is that if somebody if you think that somebody is not on the same page as you, it's going to always be the case, and it's better to over communicate than under communicate. And we are all guilty at times of going, oh, I hope they thought of it this way, but they're actually they probably thought another way i'm not going to worry about it and just hope it hope for the best you know that always it never ends well yeah it's a really good uh really good bit of advice there now because right at sitting in the middle of covid there's nearly like a divide in the population and some people are like you know the numbers you know for what we're doing from a government point of view and locking the whole place down for the numbers of deaths and blah 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 like not discrediting that and then you other people are just absolutely lock it down you know like that but you know there's so many different things and there's misalignments like you're talking about between i guess humans right now uh, more than ever and so it's a really good bit of advice uh what about the worst bit of advice that you've ever received it's probably a lot but i just sort of blank it out i think um i think that Oh, I don't know. I'm just going to be making up some things that are almost reverse pieces of advice that are actually good pieces. I mean, I think that, you know, sticking to, this is really, I don't know why this has stumped me, but I, yeah, I actually, I'm a very positive person. So I don't think about the, the negative advices as much. I mean, I think the worst piece of advice is um, wait till you perfect your business plan before you get started or you have to have everything perfect before you start or um this is something that i taught i actually psyched myself out when i first was in zambrero or even prior to that my first ever job in the city and 
I actually thought everyone in the world were going to be really awesome at business and there would be no place for me because everyone did everything perfectly. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that even big companies, some big companies are rubbish. Like, and like you think that, and I mean, because it all comes down to people. And so, you know, it's like start before you're ready, I think is actually a really good piece of advice. And, you know, you can work it out along the way, but you know, you, you don't, the worst thing you can do is have regret by not starting something or giving it a crack. So. Cool. And um, outside of business and that, what are you passionate about? Business is a big, big thing, but I mean, my wife and I, uh, we do love food and we, we love travel. So I think the, the big thing, we're actually not incredibly materialistic. Um, we haven't had a car in seven years and, you know, we don't buy expensive designer clothes or anything like that. I mean, um, but we, but we'll pay on experiences. Mm. So, you know, and, and experiencing things that like you only see in movies sort of mm. stuff. So, I mean, uh, well, I won't get in my tuxedo for probably another year. I don't think, but you know, there's, dressing up in a tuxedo and a ball gown and going to like a really beautiful dinner for a charity event or things like that and supporting people. Um, But like everything that, you know, a lot of the things that my wife and I've done is like supporting businesses and um, people that are like, I'm making a difference in the world. And that's like a big common thread in a lot of the things that we do. So, you know, but yeah. I'm a big subscriber to that. I always tell people I turn my money into memories. I'm, you know, I'm not into cars or anything like, like that. And um, yeah, I, totally. I, I, food experiences for me. I've uh, eaten in the best restaurants in New York to a restaurant in uh, New Zealand last year where they only take. I think six or eight people per sitting. Um, so it was quite a amazing experience. So I'm totally with you on that one. And where do people find? Go. Yeah, what, what, where you said I like the what you said about the money into memories. Uh, we used to have a stake in a luxury travel concierge business, and uh, their the tagline was invest in memories, and that was probably the the same sort of philosophy. Yeah. yeah, I bought my house, my holiday house, or I always call it my home away from home on the beach down on, and, you know, my business mentor said, it's not a great financial investment. And I said, well, if you go down there for two months a year over summer with your family and you're 20 metres or 100 metres off the beach and, you know, the memories of that are going to be priceless. So, you know, that was my logic and, um, and that's why I did it. But, uh yeah, and what about how do people find you? Is it uh, LinkedIn, your own personal website? Where would you like to send people to find out yeah. about anything? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn, or you can go to um, and just Google Stuart. Uh, sorry, Stuart Cook and LinkedIn. Um, there's the Twio Capital website, which is T W I Y O Capital C A P I T A L dot com, um, uh, or Instagram at Stewie Cook, um, but yeah, I'm pretty good on all all forms, and you know, I think the the one thing that I've been very lucky that people have have helped me when I've asked for advice, and so you know, if people do have little questions or things like that, I'm more than happy to you know give them one data point from my experiences of how it might help them. But you know, I always encourage people to seek out multiple 
multiple pieces of advice um, from successful people. So very good advice (laughs) and uh, from me I want to thank you for being able to jump on and share a bit of wisdom you know you're extremely successful and got a lot of experience in business and raising capital and it's always good to um, I guess dive into somebody's superpowers and it's been a very great conversation so thank you from me Uh, and thank you so much and check out flav.com to uh hopefully Australia-wide in the next coming weeks. So stay tuned. Wow, what an incredible conversation there with Stuart Cook. A lot of, uh, I guess, high-level business conversation uh, about capital raising, sitting on boards, global economy, launching business. There was a lot of great value in that conversation. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please uh, make sure that you share it on your social medias. You give us feedback. You get it out there. Share it with a friend. Uh, It's really important so we can get high-quality guests like Stuart on the show if you haven't got a copy of my book you've got one shot make sure you head across to craigschultz.com and get your copy Uh, as i say at the end of every episode make sure that you go out there and live life with passion and purpose because you get one shot at life you got to go out there and give it your best shot my name's craig schultz and i'm the host of the one shot movement podcast